Hey, how's it going? Great, glad to hear it. My name's Jeremy Ullman. I'm the host of this podcast, Abstract, colon, The Future of Science. So what's this all about? There are thousands upon thousands of graduate students all across the world, and I'm trying to tap into their knowledge they have gained in their research over the last one to seven years. We recorded this in the past, you're listening to it in the present, and you're learning about the future. So, what better time than now to enjoy a quick episode of Abstract. Hope you enjoy. Yep, this is Abstract. You found it. Welcome back. Before we hop into things, here's a quick list of the kind of questions you can expect to be answered on today's episode. So, what's happening inside of an MRI machine? And how do we produce images of the body using gigantic magnets? What does magnetic resonance imaging have to do with hills and rainbows and balls and spectra? What's the next big development in this kind of imaging, and how will a new coil solve many of our imaging problems? Answers to questions like these, and many, 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 many more on today's episode of Abstract. Let's go. Matthew McCready is a second-year master's student in physics at the University of Western Ontario. Over the course of his research career, he has worked on projects in biophysics, condensed matter physics, and MRI hardware. His current research focuses on improved hardware for DREAMER, an MRI method which can be used to locate specific molecules in a given subject. Matt has developed a method for improving magnetic field homogeneity for the type of electromagnetic coil used in DREAMER. That reduces errors in the images and maximizes the usability of the imaging region. Outside of the lab, Matt enjoys playing guitar, skiing, and hiking. He also completed his scuba diving license just at the start of the pandemic and is looking forward to using it once things are under control. I think this is the third person on the podcast who has their scuba diving license, which is crazy. I would have thought this was way more rare than it is. Without further ado, let's welcome Matt onto the podcast. Matt, how's it going? Pretty good, you? Pretty solid. That's actually crazy that... 10% 10% of the guests on this podcast approximately have their scuba diving license. Is this a common thing? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I I mean, I always wanted it, but I actually decided to add it or to tell you about it and put it in my intro because I saw so many other people that already mentioned okay. it. I was like, so, oh, that's funny. <laughs> for sure. I guess it's maybe not the kind of thing that comes up in conversation a lot, but now that there's kind of been this pattern that's been set... Who knows? Maybe, maybe everyone will now. <laughs> it could be a graduate one. student thing, you know, like if, yeah. if you're really into research, you might also be into diving down deep yeah. into the waters. Not me. I like my two feet firmly on the ground. Yeah. So this is a great little introduction here. Very excited. This episode, I'm thinking of it kind of like the third episode in what I'll call the MRI trilogy. Essentially, we've had episode 20 where we spoke about the default mode network and applications using MRI. And then we had episode 22 where we spoke about MRI and imaging in primates and discussions of evolutionary biology and psychology. And now we're talking about MRI again, but in the context of the physics side of things. So talking about the electromagnetism behind it. So I'm really excited to get into the physics side of MRI and neatly wrap the bow around this trilogy. So maybe just for the listeners, because I have a bit of physics background, you've obviously got the requisite knowledge, but just in case your listeners aren't entirely sure, what is electromagnetism? 
Sure. So electromagnetism is basically the study of electric and magnetic fields, which are caused by stationary charges. So you might learn in like maybe as early as elementary school or maybe just very early high school about like electric charge and like electrons and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They carry a charge. Those produce electric fields. And when you have charges moving, that produces a magnetic field. And so electromagnetism is kind of the subject that mm -hmm. encompasses these two fields and relates them to one another and uh, all of the physics behind that. Okay, so if I just have a single electron and that electron's moving, is that enough electrons to make a magnetic field or do you need like a group? Yeah, so uh, an electron moving will create a magnetic field, just a single one. It'd be a mm -hmm. very small magnetic field. <laughs> Usually yeah. we think about, you know, when we make an electromagnet that we want to use, a current carrying wire would create that field. And so there'd be a lot of electrons moving in that. Mm. But actually you bring up an interesting point there that's really important in MRI when you, you asked if an electron moving will create a magnetic field. But the interesting thing is that actually electrons will have a small magnetic field even when they're not moving because okay. all particles have a property called spin where you can kind of imagine it's like the particle is a little spinning ball. Yeah. It's not actually spinning. It's just, that's just what we call it because all the physics behaves as if it were spinning. Whoa. And so because it acts like it's spinning and it has that charge, it already has like an inherent small magnetic field to it. And it basically behaves like a little bar magnet as well. Kind of like the earth has its own magnetic field and yeah, it's spinning yeah. and it's kind of got that like north south exactly. pole, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you can, you can imagine it's like that. Like, like I said, it's not actually spinning. That's just, you know, we don't right. have a way to conceptualize what it's actually doing. So we're yeah. like, okay, we'll call this spin. <laughs> okay. And so, so all, all particles have this, this intrinsic property. And if they're charged as well, they not only have a charge to create an electric field, but they also act like a little bar magnet then. Okay. Basically, the fact that the body is full of these little bar magnets is what allows MRI to work because we can manipulate them uh, using our, our larger, stronger electromagnetic fields. <laughs> okay, so your, your MRI basically a big magnet interacting with my little magnets. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, okay, so is it safe to say then that electricity and magnetism are kind of like two sides of the same coin? Yeah, yeah. For sure, like if you if you get into relativity and stuff, which I, I won't because I'm far from any kind of expert on it. Uh, sure. Actually, like you might not have a magnetic field in one frame of reference, and you'll just have an electric field. But if you start moving relative to that electric field, then you'll see there's a magnetic field and an electric field. Uh, that's crazy! Oh stuff my like, god! Stuff like that. That's such a cool point. Yeah. yeah, I could just briefly explain what I know on relativity, which is like sure. if I'm on a train and my eyes are closed, and it's kind of moving at a constant speed. I don't necessarily feel like I'm moving. But if you're standing on like some part of the ground outside the train, and you look at me, I'm obviously moving. Mm -hmm. So it might look yeah. like if I was an electron, I'd be producing a magnetic field because I'm moving, but I myself don't really perceive my own magnetic field because I'm not moving. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's wow, pretty, okay. That's a good explanation. <laughs> I actually I had never thought of relativity applying at that subatomic level before. Yeah. yeah. So that is, that is wild. So in an MRI machine, who's the observer here? Like, does the MRI know that it's creating a, a magnetic field? Okay, yeah. So I wouldn't say relativity plays a, a big part in MRI itself. That's kind of just more where the joining of these two forces into a single theory kind of comes about. So in an MRI, there are three main fields. We have 
the static main field, which doesn't change. It's extremely strong and it's, it's created by a superconducting magnet. This is like the big expensive part of the MRI. And then what will happen when you put a person in there, all of the particles in your body that are like these little bar magnets, they will align themselves with that field and mm -hmm. they'll always want to be aligned with that field. That's like the lowest point of their potential energy that they can get to. It's like a ball sitting in like a ditch, you know, like it, instead of being up on a hill, it rolls down into that ditch and it wants to stay there. That's what all the bar magnets in your body do. Cool. So the next field that we usually talk about is the gradient fields. And you can yep. imagine this like a, like a color gradient where the strength of the field is changing. And this basically all this allows us to do is to spatially encode our image. So when we eventually get a signal out of this, we will know where, where in the body each of the signals came from, because it's like they have that little color associated with them and we can pick out where that, that signal came from. Like a sunset. You kind of know where the horizon is because that's where you got the deepest reds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. And then the, the last part is the radio frequency fields. So these fields vary in strength over time. They, they oscillate very quickly. And I, I won't get into why they need to oscillate or what frequency they need to oscillate at. But basically, they are directed perpendicular to these other fields. And so when we apply them, to the body, all those little bar magnets that were aligned with the main field get flipped perpendicular. And then after we're done applying the radio frequency coils, they will oscillate around or process around the main magnetic field and eventually align back to it in a process that's called relaxation. And that's really important for my research uh, in, in Dreamer. Dreamer is actually an acronym that stands for Delta Relaxation Enhanced Magnetic Resonance. So the relaxation part is very important for this. I'm almost imagining that kind of like going into that ditch, picking the ball up and putting it on like the top edge of that ditch and then just yeah. letting it roll back down to the bottom. That's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, you're just, you're putting some energy into the system, perturbing it, and then eventually it's going to make its way back to the ditch again. Like a golfer trying to putt their ball out of the uh, sands, but exactly. they don't quite make it. I don't know golf. <laughs> It's also not called the sands. If you're a golfer, then please shoot me a message on Instagram and, and correct me because I know it's not the sands. It's like the f it's, it's also not the fairway either. All right. No more golf talk. Uh, golf cast is going to be a, a different project for a different day. Although please do feel free to check out Rapstract Chapter 5 where I discuss a little bit about some of the things that we just discussed here on MRI among other neuroimaging techniques. Okay. Rapstract plug right there. All right. So we got three coils that produce three fields in the MRI? Yes, so that's, that's your standard MRI, that's what it looks like. However, for my research, for Dreamer, we have to put another coil into that system. So you can think of the MRI kind of like this Russian nesting doll where you have the big static coil outside the main, for the main magnetic field, then you have the gradient system is inside of that, these are all cylinders, mm -hmm. and then Mine would actually go inside the gradient coil. You'd put the dreamer system in there. And then the RF coils are, are closest to the body because they not only perturb the spins inside the body, but they also receive the signal at the end. So you want them close to the body to get the best signal to noise ratio. So that's, that's four coils yeah, now, four including coils. dreamer. Yeah, well, I mean, it, we say four coils. It's more like four systems because some, some of those coils actually have like tons of coils inside of them I'm not going to get into. Sure. Uh, 
four systems. But, but yeah, basically like four, four, you can think of it like four cylinders that, that you're inside of. Uh-huh. You, you, at the end of the day, you need to fit a person or animal or something into this as well. Right. I, it, it almost <laughs> sounds like uh, if, if you put too many coils, it's going to end up like a clogged artery. And like instead of blood yeah. not being able to flow through your artery, a human's not going to be able to fit in the thing. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get into it more after we've talked about what Dreamer is, but that's, that's kind of like one of the, the motivations for what I'm specifically doing that MRIs aren't designed for us to then put my coil in there as well. And so you need to make sure that there's going to be space for that coil and the person to actually be in it afterwards. So, Okay, cool. So you mentioned Dreamer, which is this acronym. We're just going to stick with Dreamer for now. Okay. And people can rewind for the acronym. I'll I'll put the acronym fully expanded in the description. But let's really break down Dreamer because this is the focus of your master's work. It is Dreamer. So... You may say I'm a dreamer, but what is dreamer itself? Okay, so dreamer is what we call a molecular imaging method. So normally with MRI, you're just imaging anatomical features. We can see like the different types of tissue in the body and stuff like that. But with the dreamer method, you can image a target molecule in the body. So you can use this to image specific biological processes because there might be a certain molecule being expressed during that process. And if they can see where that molecule is, then they can see where that process is happening and keep an eye on it. In more broad terms, this can be used for diagnosis of diseases like cancer and stuff like that, but also keeping an eye on therapies and, and uh, you know, informing therapies for diseases um, and watching for the return of diseases and stuff like that. And just seeing how the body responds to all of these things. So it's it's an imaging method that allows you to see a more specific detail in the body. It kind of sounds like Dreamer is to MRI as the electron microscope is to regular microscopes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In in each case, we're doing similar things, but just to a much much finer degree. Yeah. Although I would assume that you can't look at a human body under an electron microscope, but <laughs> but you can using Dreamer. So this yeah. is this is where we're coming in. This is where we're coming yeah. in. Is this patented, by the way? Yeah, there are patents on, on at least some of the designs. The the overall method, I think, it, it's published and it's been around. Like I didn't invent the method; it was invented by our group uh, sure. almost ten years ago. So it's, okay. it's been around in a few labs. I've worked on it now. Thank you for um, not taking credit. <laughs> no, yeah, not at all. <laughs> okay. So so the standard molecular imaging method that probably is like the gold standard most people use right now is PET scans. I, w- I won't talk about how they work, but basically it, it does a pretty good job of this. The only thing is, I- I'd say there are two advantages Dreamer has over PET. One is that PET uses ionizing radiation, which people don't tend to like. For one thing, in medicine, there's a, and when it comes to radiation, there's a principle people follow called ALARA, which means as low as reasonably achievable. Mm -hmm. So basically anywhere that you can minimize dose to a patient, you want to do that because there's not a serious concern with, with PET. I don't want to scare anybody off of PET, but, but the more ionizing radiation you're getting, the higher chance you'll have of developing a cancer, right? Uh, That's what radiation will do to you. It's not actually going to happen if you go in for that scan, you're, you're fine. Yeah, is this kind of like the basis for the for the movie and the comic book, The Fantastic Four, where they get the giant solar flare and then they all have superpowers? One guy turns yeah, into like yeah, a ball a of fire. Of, a lot of superpowers <laughs> probably come from this. I think. Okay, um, so Pet's not going to kill you. It's also not going to give you superpowers. Yeah, you heard it here it's, it's first, totally folks. Fine. It's totally fine. 
Okay. But but if you can have an alternative to that that doesn't use ionizing radiation, that's good. And also, especially when it comes to research and when I think a, a lot of the motivation for this came from doing animal research as well in studies that are going on for a long time, if you have to keep subjecting it to this ionizing radiation, then, you know, it can have an effect on your study, right? Especially with, uh, with animals and stuff like that, because they receive a higher dose than we do because they're so tiny. So the biological effect is more significant. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing that Dreamer does better. Dreamer will not have any ionizing radiation in it. MRI does not use ionizing radiation. And the other advantage is that PET is like very specifically designed for taking these uh, molecular images and these functional images. And while Dreamer will do that, it also, in the process, which I'll get into in a minute, takes anatomical images just as well as like normal MRI would. So because of that, you, you have all of this like great anatomical structure that you can overlay with your molecular images and mm. you can see where everything's actually taking place. Because if you just have a, a just have images that are molecular, then it, it doesn't actually mean a whole lot to you. You're just going to see like these bright spots. You're not going to know where they are in the body, really. Sure. So, so you want the anatomy as well. Excellent. So Dreamer's kind of like best of both worlds. MRI meets, uh, meets PET. Yes. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Today I'm going to share with you an excerpt from a writing project called Story on a Line. Epistemological metacognition thinking about thinking about knowledge. Every waking and slumbering moment of your insignificant life is spent processing external or internal information. The external comes from the immediate or near-reaching environment, the internal from mental and physical phenomena within your brain and body. The knowledge that you possess is the sum total of your life experience and the neural imprint that continually maps and remaps this information within your brain. You also have some muscle memory, but that's not true memory at all. So I'll talk about how, how Dreamer actually works. Uh, like I said, we have this extra coil that we're going to put in, and I haven't actually mentioned what that coil does yet. So that's, that's one requirement for Dreamer, and the other requirement is it uses what's called a contrast agent. And so this is something that you'll inject into the subject you're imaging, whether it's a person or an animal. And... This contrast agent, it will bind with specific molecules in the subject, and when it binds with them, it will change how they relax in that field. So like I said, all the little bar magnets in your body, after you perturb them, they want to relax back to that ditch, right? Mm -hmm. But it, this will basically change the, the rate at which that ball is rolling back down into the ditch. Okay. It's like digging the ditch out to make it a little more, like kind of a shallow descent. Yeah, kind of. Except, so we, we want... We want contrast agents with a very specific property to them in order for this to work. And that's that the rate at which that ball gets back to the ditch will depend on the main field strength, right? So if you're in a stronger magnetic field, it might roll back faster where that contrast agent is. And if you're in a weaker magnetic field, it might roll back slower where that contrast agent is. Whereas where the contrast agent isn't, it will just keep going back to the ditch at the same speed. Okay. And okay, interesting. Hold on a second. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, I just want to maybe try and put this into my own words, yeah. uh, as as listeners might want to. Would they have been the ones sitting here? So, I'm used to thinking of contrasting agents as as dyes. 
So like iodine yeah. would, would actually appear as a certain color, let's say, if, if you were kind of staining the cells. But we're not talking about actually changing the color of anything. We're talking about changing the way this, these magnets interact with the field. We're talking about how fast or slow the ball rolls down to the base of the ditch. And we're selectively, like you're saying, we're kind of selectively choosing specific target molecules to have this modulated effect, whereas everything else is just doing what the usual ditch does. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm on board. Listeners, are you on board? Excellent. Once you've put that contrast agent into your subject and you have this extra electromagnetic coil that's in there now, the what this coil is going to do is it's not going to produce any kind of fancy field like the gradient coils or the RF coil, the radio frequency coils. This This new coil, the Dreamer coil, is just going to shift that static field, the field that the big strong one that usually doesn't change, it's going to either add or subtract to that field. And it's going to do it significantly. So this is a very like strong magnet okay. that you put in here compared to the other fields in there. Mm -hmm. And so by changing the field strength for the entire body that we're imaging, those places where the contrast agent are, they are now going to go back to the ditch, like I said, at a different speed, right? They're going to relax at a different speed. Yeah. Whereas all the places where the contrast agent isn't, ideally nothing has changed. In reality, it does have a small effect, but nothing compared to what the contrast agent's going to undergo. Yeah. So if you take an image with, say, the, the Dreamer coil adding to the field, and then take another image right afterwards with the Dreamer coil subtracting from the field, and we don't actually let... I should say we don't actually let the ball make it all the way to the ditch. We stop it somewhere still on the hill, okay? Okay. That's where we stop taking, that's where we have our image, right? So if if the ball is rolling faster, it's going to be further down the hill. And if it's rolling slower, it's going to be higher up the hill. And if it's not changing, it's just going to be in the same spot on the hill both times. Oh, I got it. So it's like, all right, mom, put the one second timer on for this ball rolling down the ditch. Always take it at the same time stamp, but yeah. then depending on how steep that that rolling hill is, that's going to change where the ball will be. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so then when you have these two images, you can subtract them. When you, when you take the difference in them, you're going to see the points where that contrast agent was, right? Because there's a difference. The ball mm -hmm. is in a different spot for where that contrast agent was. So, it's so insane. Like so yeah. convoluted. Like who yeah. came up with this? <laughs> uh, his name is Jamu Alford, I think. Okay. I, I pronounced his last name right. Uh, sure. So yeah, he was a he was a grad student in our lab about ten years ago. But, Whoa. Um, okay. Yeah, very smart guy. Basically, uh, the the spots where there's no contrast agent, the ball's in the same spot. So if you're subtracting those images, basically all the signal from those spots disappears. The ball is is out of the equation for those spots. So all you have now is signal from the spots where the contrast agent is. Originally, we took two just basically normal images, right? So you still have all that anatomical information. If you just don't do the subtraction, like you still have that full data set, the, the picture of the body uh, from the regular MRI scans that you took to make this. This is so crazy. Yeah. So, it's so, oh God, it's so wild. It's so beyond me. I've said it before. I'm really not a molecular guy. I like thinking big picture stuff. And this is just, just mind blowing yeah. that we can manipulate these, these, like just these tiny baby bar magnets inside of my body. And oh God. Anyways, this is amazing. Keep going. Yeah, and, and basically, if, if you go through all the math of that, too, you, you find that it, as long as you pick certain parameters of your imaging sequence correctly, you'll, you'll find that the signal you get 
after doing this subtraction is proportional to the concentration of that agent in each of those spots. So you can actually measure how much of the agent pooled in those spots, and then that tells you like how much of the molecule is there, what's what's actually going on, right? You get like relative information throughout the body. Okay, so ju let's just take stock quickly of, of what we've done so far. So yeah. we start off the episode by talking about what electromagnetism is and how moving charges produce these fields. And then we said, okay, well, we use these fields in MRI because we can have these coils and they produce the fields and they align the magnets inside of our bodies. And relativity doesn't have too much to do with it, but that's still a cool thing. And then we have this dreamer, which is a new system which has coils in it, and it's going to modulate that big, strong coil. And then we're going to be able to get really cool images, not just anatomical, but also at the molecular level. Okay. Exactly. That's our yes. quick, quick midterm review. <laughs> and so then, I guess this is where the, the more specific part of my research and what I'm doing comes in. Please. So I'm interested in hardware. I, I That's kind of my field. And... So my project has been to improve upon the hardware for Dreamers, so that extra coil that we insert. Mm -hmm. And basically the main thing that hadn't been addressed till now is the homogeneity of the field. So making sure that the, the field produced by this Dreamer coil is the same strength in as much of a volume inside it as possible. Like an evenness throughout the yeah. field. Yeah. yeah. Like you want, it's like a lake that you want it to be nice and flat, no waves in there or anything. Mm -hmm. There is an effect if you have inhomogeneity in your field. They thought that it didn't matter for these specific reasons that I won't get into. But there are other reasons why it will matter. And it has to do with the way we subtract the field. Basically, there are things we do to account for the fact that this is taken at different field strengths. And if you do those things to account for that, but your field is inhomogeneous, you will end up with a little bit of signal in your image from spots where there's not actually any contrast agent and you don't want that so basically if you if you don't do this you you might find that it's telling you there's contrast agent and somewhere where there's not it'll also give you the wrong signal for how much contrast agent there is in spots where there is contrast agent mm -hmm. now they, they didn't worry about this too much because they were imaging on a really small region and if you're like in a very small volume inside the coil it's pretty homogeneous inside of there so they don't have to worry about what it's like outside that but we want to eventually do this in humans. They, so far, it has only been done in animals, so it's okay that they want to do it in a small region. But if we want to put a human in this, like I said, there's not that much space, right? One, one way to do that would just be to make a really big dreamer coil, right? A huge right. dreamer coil, and then the relatively small volume inside that's homogeneous would be like the size of a human head. But we can't fit that coil in the MRI. So we want to make the field homogeneous throughout as much of the dreamer coil as possible so that you can like maximize how much of that Got area it. you're using to image, right? You're just trying to increase the efficiency as opposed to just like doubling yeah. the size to double the volume. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, it's a rushing nest and all. We have a finite space to put everything in it. You know, obviously we still, we, like I could make this thing like so that it's so homogeneous that you could like squeeze a person right in there, but you know, you're not going to do that because you also have to have some patient comfort in there. But Sure, but, patient yeah. comfort, hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, people don't like being shoved in a tiny little cylinder like that. Uh, I would imagine not. <laughs> um, I would imagine not. Nobody wants to be the Russian doll. Yeah. <laughs> the way the way I've done this is basically just using the same design methods that actually get used to make gradient coils and design the field for them with like the color spectrum. We can design an inner layer of this coil which has like specifically placed wires 
that will correct all the inhomogeneities in the field of the coil. So Oh, so the inhomogeneities aren't actually random. You're kind of seeing the same regions. Yeah, so, so basically, yeah, the way they were doing this before was they just have a big cylinder of wire just wrapped around in sort of like a helix kind of shape, and that was producing their field that you put the person in. And that's all uniform, and it's like wound as tightly as you can, basically. As you get towards the edges of that coil, the ends of it and stuff, it, the field gets weaker. Mm -hmm. um, as yeah. you go towards the sides, the field gets weaker. So basically, I developed like a code and stuff like that that calculates where we need to place extra windings in this coil to make it so that it doesn't get weaker in those spots and try to keep it the same value for as long as possible. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. You're the patchwork guy. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't sound as cool as what you're actually doing. So that, that definitely doesn't give you the, the credit that you deserve there. But you are, you are patching up something that is going to eventually have huge ramifications for yeah, imaging. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the gist of it. Like there, there are more, more complicated parts of it. Like we have to also um, have a shield for this coil because you don't want the, the magnetic field being outside of this coil, right? You just want to try and keep it all inside. Yeah. Because if it's outside, it'll start interacting with the rest of the magnet and things will be banging around and all kinds of problems. So the, the, I think the biggest trick like with this project was trying to, to make it so that those specifically placed windings inside that correct the field will correct the field, but are also getting shielded. And that shield at the same time doesn't screw up everything that we've done inside the magnet. Yeah, um, it's like yeah. when you're trying to figure out where to put a piece of furniture with your with your roommate and you push the table a little bit and they're like, no, no, a little bit backwards and then they push yeah. it too far back and then you just kind of have to yeah, finally find the perfect compromise. Adjusting. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So so what's the dream with Dreamer then? Like if we're thinking 10 years down the line, what do you see Dreamer being used in, in terms of like its, its, its coolest, most innovative application? The goal for it is to get it to the point of being like these other molecular imaging methods, right? So we can use it for diagnosis of cancer and for monitoring response to therapies in cancer and stuff like that, maybe guiding and informing those therapies. I think that's eventually where it will end up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right now, I think it, what it really needs to get to that point and to move forward is it needs someone who's like a very dedicated molecular imaging researcher who can do good animal studies and stuff like that and can do something like really in depth to get it to that next level we have shown that this works like people have done these images right mm -hmm. but we just need like a bigger study of that to show like the merit that it has okay fair enough i, I don't expect you to come up with some grandiose plan for dreamer and that yeah. we're gonna we're gonna shoot dreamer coils into space and we're gonna capture yeah. martians and we're gonna bring them back to earth you know that would be a little bit or qu quite insane so a nice, a nice conservative estimate of the future of Dreamer is exactly what we needed. So thank you for that. Yeah, no worries. This is, this is bringing us to my final question for today's episode. I think we've pretty much covered, I mean, maybe you could tell me otherwise, but it sounds like we've pretty much got this, this image in our minds of what Dreamer does and what Dreamer is. Is there anything that we missed? Maybe, you know, next time you're getting an MRI, if that's something that happens to you. You know, while you're sitting in the cylinder board, you'll think about all the things that are going on inside of it. Think about all that patchwork that Matt McCready was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Making sure we can take those beautiful images. Awesome. Okay, so this brings me to final question. Last one. You're standing at the foot of an auditorium. It's a thousand-seater, packed to the brim, all eyes on you. What do you tell the audience? I think 
Well, if it's if it's a bunch of future researchers or anything, I would say to just try a lot of different things and work in a lot of different fields. I've worked in three, mainly three very different fields and like different research groups. And, you know, I, I've tried a lot of things I, I kind of liked and I found what I really like and that's what matters, you know, and I've, I've tried things I didn't like as well. But, you know, the only way you're going to find out if you like it is if you try it. So, you know, try try and get into as many things as you can, uh, especially in undergrad or something like that. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's 100 million percent valid. I myself had a very nonlinear academic path, and I think it served me well. Sounds like the same happened for you, and you're you're absolutely right. There are generally, in my opinion, no wrong ways to go about your academic career. It's just as long as you can appreciate at every point in time you're either learning what you like or learning what you definitely don't want to be doing for the foreseeable future, then you can either narrow down or zero in. And both of those seem like totally good options to me. Exactly. It's all good data. (laughs) Yeah. You're just your own little social experiment. That's how I think of myself at least. (laughs) Cool. Matt, this this was an awesome discussion. Thank you so much for closing out the trilogy, at least maybe the original trilogy. Who knows how many more MRI researchers we'll have on the show, but this was, this was a great MRI discussion. So thank you so much for being on the show. This was eye opening as always. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out at AbstractCast on Instagram. If you have any feedback, please feel free to leave a comment on the post for the current or any previous episode that you might have listened to. Or if you're a graduate student and you would like to be on the podcast yourself, you can drop us a line at AbstractCast at gmail.com. This podcast will be released weekly on Sundays and is also available on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you're going to find podcasts. So feel free to check us out around the internet. Until then, take it easy.